Section 18 of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part 18. Of the Street Irish. The Irish street sellers are both a numerous and peculiar class of people. It therefore behoves me, for the due completeness of this work, to say a few words upon their numbers, earnings, conditions, and mode of life. The number of Irish street sellers in the metropolis has increased greatly of late years. One gentleman, who had every means of being well informed, considered that it was not too much to conclude that within these five years the numbers of the poor Irish people who gain a scanty maintenance, or what is rather a substitute for a maintenance, by trading or begging, or by carrying on the two avocations simultaneously, in the streets of London, had been doubled in number. I found among the English costermongers a general dislike of the Irish. In fact, next to a policeman, a genuine London costermonger hates an Irishman, considering him an intruder. Whether there be any traditional or hereditary ill-feeling between them, originating from a clannish feeling, I cannot ascertain. The costermongers whom I questioned had no knowledge of the feelings or prejudices of their predecessors, but I am inclined to believe that the prejudice is modern, and has originated in the great influx of Irish men and women, intermixing, more especially during the last five years, with the costermonger's business. An Irish costermonger, however, is no novelty in the streets of London. From the mention of the costermonger, says Mr. Charles Knight, in the old dramatists, he appears to have been frequently an Irishman. Of the Irish street-sellers at present, it is computed that there are, including men, women, and children, upwards of ten thousand. Assuming the street-sellers attending the London fish and green markets to be, with their families, thirty thousand in number, and seven in every twenty of these to be Irish, we shall have rather more than the total above given. Of this large body, three-fourths sell only fruit, and more especially nuts and oranges. Indeed, the orange season is called the Irishman's harvest. The others deal in fish, fruit, and vegetables, but these are principally men. Some of the most wretched of the street Irish deal in such trifles as lucifer matches, watercresses, and so on. I am informed that the great mass of these people have been connected in some capacity or other with the culture of the land in Ireland. The mechanics who have sought the metropolis from the sister kingdom have become mixed with their respective handicrafts in England, some of the Irish, though only a few, taking rank with the English skilled labourers. The greater part of the Irish artisans who have arrived within the last five years are to be found among the most degraded of the tailors and shoemakers who work at the East End for the slop-masters. A large class of the Irish who were agricultural labourers in their country are to be found among the men working for bricklayers, as well as among the dock labourers and excavators and so on. Wood-chopping is an occupation greatly resorted to by the Irish in London. Many of the Irish, however, who are not regularly employed in their respective callings, resort to the streets when they cannot obtain work otherwise. The Irish women and girls who sell fruit and so on in the streets 
depend almost entirely on that mode of traffic for their subsistence. They are a class not sufficiently taught to avail themselves of the ordinary resources of women in the humbler walk of life. Unskilled at their needles, working for slop employers, even at the commonest shirt-making, is impossible to them. Their ignorance of household work, moreover, note, for such description of work is unknown in their wretched cabins in many parts of Ireland, end note, incapacitates them in a great measure for such employments as charring, washing, and ironing, as well as from regular domestic employment. Thus there seems to remain to them but one thing to do, as indeed was said to me by one of themselves, namely, to sell for a halfpenny the three apples which cost a farthing. Very few of these women, nor indeed of the men, though rather more of them than the women, can read, and they are mostly all wretchedly poor. But the women present two characteristics which distinguish them from the London Costa women generally. They are chaste, and unlike the Costa girls, very seldom form any connection without the sanction of the marriage ceremony. They are, moreover, attentive to religious observances. The majority of the Irish street-sellers of both sexes beg, and often very eloquently, as they carry on their trade, and I was further assured that, but for this begging, some of them might starve outright. The greater proportion of the Irish street-sellers are from Leinster and Munster, and a considerable number come from Connaught. Of the causes which have made the Irish turn costermongers, Notwithstanding the prejudices of the English costers, I am of the opinion that the Irish men and women who have become costermongers belong to a better class than the Irish labourers. The Irishman may readily adapt himself, in a strange place, to labour, though not to trade. But these costers are, or the majority at least are, poor, persevering traders enough. The most intelligent and prosperous of the street Irish are those who have risen, for so I have heard it expressed, into regular costers. The untaught Irishman's capabilities, as I have before remarked, with all his powers of speech and quickness of apprehension, are far less fitted for buying in the cheapest market and selling in the dearest than for mere physical employment. Hence those who take to street trading for a living seldom prosper in it, and three-fourths of the street Irish confine their dealings to such articles as are easy of sale, like apples, nuts, or oranges, for they are rarely masters of purchasing to advantage, and seem to know little about tale or measure, beyond the most familiar quantities. Compared with an acute costermonger, the mere apple-seller is but as the labourer to the artisan. One of the principal causes why the Irish costermongers have increased so extensively of late years is to be found in the fact that the labouring classes, and of them chiefly the class employed in the culture of land, have been driven over from the sister isle more thickly for the last four or five years than formerly. Several circumstances have conspired to effect this. First, they were driven over by the famine, when they could not procure, or began to fear that soon they could not procure, food to eat. Secondly, 
they were forced to take refuge in this country by the evictions when their landlords had left them no roof to shelter them in their own Note, the shifts the devices the plans to which numbers of these poor creatures had recourse to raise the means of quitting ireland for england or for anywhere will present a very remarkable chapter at some future period End note. thirdly though the better class of small farmers who have emigrated from ireland in hopes of bettering themselves have mostly sought the shores of north america still some who have reached this country have at last settled into street sellers and fourthly many who have come over here only for the harvest have been either induced or compelled to stay another main cause is that the irish as labourers can seldom obtain work all the year through and thus the ranks of the irish street sellers are recruited every winter by the slackness of certain periodic trades in which they are largely employed such as hodmen dockwork excavating and the like they are therefore driven by want of employment to the winter sale of oranges and nuts these circumstances have a doubly malefic effect as the increase of costers accrues in the winter months and there are consequently the most sellers when there are the fewest buyers moreover the cessation of work in the construction of railways compared with the abundance of employment which attracted so many to this country during the railway mania has been another fertile cause of there being so many irish in the london streets the prevalence of irish women and children among street sellers is easily accounted for they are as i have said before unable to do anything else to eke out the means of their husbands or parents a needle is as useless in their fingers as a pen bitterly as many of these people suffer in this country grievous and often eloquent as are their statements i met with none who did not manifest repugnance at the suggestion of a return to ireland if asked why they objected to return the response was usually in the form of a question sure then sir and what good could i do there neither can i say that i heard any of these people express any love for their country though they often spoke with great affection of their friends from an irish costermonger a middle-aged man with a physiognomy best known as irish and dressed in corduroy trousers with a loose greatcoat far too big for him buttoned about him i had the following statement i had a bit of land your honour in county limerick well it wasn't just a farm nor what you would call a garden here but my father lived and died on it glory be to god and brought up me and my sister on it it was about an acre and the taties was well known to be good but the sore times came and the taties was afflicted and the wife and me i have no childer hadn't a bite nor a sup but water to live on and an egg or two i felt the famine a coming i saw people a feeding on the wild green things and as i had not such a bad take i got mr blank note he was the headmaster's agent end note to give me twenty-eight shillings for position in quietness and i sold some poultry i had their eggs was a blessing to keep the life in us 
we sold them in limerick for three shillings and threepence the poor things four of them the furniture i sold to the neighbours for somehow about six shillings it's the truth i may telling of you sir and there's two shillings owing of it still and will be a perpetual loss the wife and me walked to dublin though we had bither have gone by the long way but i didn't understand it then and we got to liverpool then sorrows the taste of work could i get beant wanst three shillings for two days hurried pothering that broke my back half in two i was told i'd do better in london and so glory be to god i have perhaps i have i knew mr blank he pothers at covent garden and i made him out and helped him in any long distance of a job as i'd been used to farming i thought it good raison i should be a costermonger as they call it here i can read and write too and some good christian the heavens light him to glory when he's gone i don't know who he was advanced me ten shillings or he gave it to me so to speak through father blank note a roman catholic priest end note we curran watts keeps the life in us i don't go to market but boy of a fair dealing man so i count him though he's hard sometimes i can't tell how many irishmen is in the trade there's many has been brought down to it by the famine and the changes i don't go much among the english street dealers they talk like heathens i never miss mass on a sunday and they don't know what the blessed mass means i'm almost glad i have no childer to see how they're reared here indeed sir they're not reared at all they run wild they haven't the fear of god or the saints they'd hang a priest glory be to god they would how the street irish displanted the street jews in the orange trade the jews in the streets while acting as costermongers never worked a barrow nor dealt in the more ponderous and least profitable articles of the trade such as turnips and cabbages they however had at one period the chief possession of a portion of the trade which the regular hands do not consider proper costermongering and which is now chiefly confined to the irish namely orange selling the trade was not many years ago confined almost entirely to the jew boys who kept aloof from the vagrant lads of the streets or mixed with them only in the cheap theatres and concert rooms a person who had had great experience at what was till recently one of the greatest coaching inns told me that speaking within his own recollection and from his own observation he thought the sale of oranges was not so much in the hands of the jew lads until about forty years back the orange monopoly so to speak was established by the street jews about eighteen ten or three or four years previous to that date when recruiting and local soldiering were at their height and when a great number of the vagabond or roving population who in one capacity or other now throng the streets were induced to enlist the young jews never entered the ranks of the army the streets were thus in a measure cleared for them and the itinerant orange trade fell almost entirely into their hands some of the young jews gained i am assured at least a hundred pounds a year in this traffic the numbers of country people who hastened to london on the occasion of the allied sovereign's visit in eighteen fourteen many wealthy persons then seeing the capital for the first time afforded 
an excellent market to these dealers moreover the perseverance of the jew orange boys was not to be overcome they would follow a man who even looked encouragingly at their wares for a mile or two the great resort of these jew dealers who eschewed night work generally and left the theatre doors to old men and women of all ages was at the coaching inns for year by year after the peace of eighteen fifteen the improvement of the roads and the consequent increase of travellers to london progressed about eighteen twenty five as nearly as my informant could recollect these keen young traders began to add the sale of other goods to their oranges pressing them upon the notice of those who were leaving or visiting london by the different coaches so much was this the case that it was a common remark at that time that no one could reach or leave the metropolis even for the shortest journey without being expected to be in urgent want of oranges and lemons black-lead pencils sticks of sealing-wax many-bladed penknives pocket-combs razors strops braces and sponges to pursue the sale of the last-mentioned articles they being found i presume to be more profitable some of the street jews began to abandon the sale of oranges and lemons and it was upon this that the trade was taken up by the wives and children of the irish bricklayers labourers and of other irish workpeople then resident in london the numbers of irish in the metropolis at that time began to increase rapidly for twenty years ago they resorted numerously to england to gather in the harvest and those who had been employed in contiguous counties during the autumn made for london in the winter i can't say they were well off sir said one man to me but they liked bread and herrings or bread and tea better than potatoes without bread at home from eighteen thirty six to eighteen forty i was informed the irish gradually superseded the jews in the fruit traffic about the coaching-houses one reason for this was that they were far more eloquent begging pathetically and with many benedictions on their listeners the jews never begged i was told they were merely traders another reason was that irish men or lads who had entered into the fruit trade in the coach-yards would not only sell and beg but were ready to lend a hand to any overburthened coach-porter this the jews never did and in that way the people of the yard came to encourage the irish to the prejudice of the jews at present i understand that with the exception of one or two in the city no jews vend oranges in the streets and that the trade is almost entirely in the hands of the irish another reason why the irish could supersede and even undersell the jews and regular costermongers was this as i am informed on excellent authority father matthew a dozen years back made temperance societies popular in ireland many of the itinerant irish especially the younger classes were temperance men thus the irish could live as sparely as the jew but they did not like him squander any money for the evening's amusement at the concert or the theatre i inquired what might be the number of the jews plying so to speak at the coaching inns and was assured that it was less numerous than was generally imagined one man computed it at three hundred individuals all under twenty-one another at only two hundred perhaps the mean or two hundred and fifty might be about the mark 
the number was naturally considered greater i was told because the same set of street traders were seen over and over again the jews knew when the coaches were to arrive and when they started and they would hurry after availing themselves of a departure from one inn the bell sauvage ludgate hill for instance to take advantage of an arrival at another say the saracen's head snow hill thus they appeared everywhere but were the same individuals i inquired to what calling the youthful jews thus driven from their partially monopolized street commerce had devoted themselves and was told that even when the orange and hawking trade was at the best the jews rarely carried it on after they were twenty-two or twenty-three but that they then resorted to some more wholesale calling such as the purchase of nuts or foreign grapes at public sales at present i am informed they are more thickly than ever engaged in these trades as well as in two new avocations that have been established within these few years the sale of the bahama pineapples and of the spanish and portuguese onions about the royal exchange jew boys still hawk pencils etc but the number engaged in this pursuit throughout london is not so far as i can ascertain above one-eighth if an eighth of what it was even twelve years ago of the religion of the street irish having now given a brief sketch as to how the irish people have come to form so large a proportion of the london street sellers i shall proceed as i did with the english costermongers to furnish the reader with a short account of their religious moral intellectual and physical condition so that he may be able to contrast the habits and circumstances of the one class with those of the other first of the religion of the irish street folk almost all the street irish are roman catholics of course i can but speak generally but during my inquiry i met with only two who said they were protestants and when i came to converse with them i found out that they were partly ignorant of and partly indifferent to any religion whatever an irish protestant gentleman said to me you may depend upon it if ever you meet any of my poor countrymen who will not talk to you about religion they either know or care nothing about it for the religious spirit runs high in ireland and protestants and catholics are easily led to converse about their faith i found that some of the irish roman catholics but they had been for many years resident in england and that among the poorest or vagrant class of the english had become indifferent to their creed and did not attend their chapels unless at the great fasts or festivals and this they did only occasionally one old stall-keeper who had been in london nearly thirty years said to me ah god knows sir i ought to attend mass every sunday but i haven't for a many years barring christmas day and such times but i'll try and go more regular plays god this man seemed to resent as a sort of indignity my question if he ever attended any other place of worship of course not was the reply one irishman also a fruit-seller with a well-stocked barrow and without the complaint of poverty common among his class entered keenly into the subject of his religious faith when i introduced it he was born in ireland but had been in england since he was five or six he was a good-looking fresh-coloured man of thirty or upwards 
and could read and write well. He spoke without bitterness, though zealously enough. "'Perhaps, sir, you're a gentleman connected with the Protestant clergy?' he asked. "'Or a missionary?' On my stating that I had no claim to either character, he resumed, "'Well, sir, it don't matter. All the world may know my religion, and I wish all the world was of my religion, and better men in it than I am. I do indeed. I'm a Roman Catholic, sir.' Note, here he made the sign of the cross. End note. God be praised for it. Oh, yes, I know all about Cardinal Wiseman. It's the will of God, I feel sure, that he's to be established here, and it's no use rebelling against that. I've nothing to say against Protestants. I've heard it said it's best to pray for them. The street people that call themselves Protestants are no religion at all at all. I serve Protestant gentlemen and ladies, too and sometimes they talk to me kindly about religion. They are good customers, and I have no doubt good people. I can't say what their lot may be in another world for not being of the true faith. No, sir, I'll give no opinions, none. This man gave me a clear account of his belief that the Blessed Virgin, he crossed himself repeatedly as he spoke, was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and was a mediator with our Lord, who was God of heaven and earth of the duty of praying to the holy saints, of attending mass. Note, but the priest, he said, won't exact too much of a poor man, either about that or about fasting. End note. Of going to confession at Easter and Christmas times at the least, of receiving the body of Christ, the real presence in the holy sacrament, of keeping all God's commandments, of purgatory being a purgation of sins, and of heaven and hell. I found the majority of those I spoke with at least as earnest in their faith, if they were not as well instructed in it as my informant, who may be cited as an example of the better class of street-sellers. Another Irishman, who may be taken as a type of the less informed, and who had been between two and three years in England, having been disappointed in emigrating to America with his wife and two children, gave me the following account, but not without considering and hesitating. He was a very melancholy-looking man, tall and spare, and decently clad. He and his family were living upon eightpence a day, which he earned by sweeping a crossing. He had been prevented by ill health from earning two pounds, which he could have made, he told me, in harvest time, as a store against winter. He had been a street-seller, and so had his wife and she would be so again as soon as he could raise two shillings to buy her a stock of apples. He said, touching his hat at each holy name, Sure, yes, sir, I'm a Roman Catholic, and go to Mass every Sunday. Jesus Christ? Oh, yes. Note, hesitating, but proceeding readily after a word of prompting. End note. He is the Lord our Saviour, and the Son of the Holy Virgin. The Blessed Saints? Yes, sir, yes. The priest prays for them. I, I mean, prays to them. Oh, yes, I pray to them myself, every night, for a blessing, and to rise me out of my misery. No, sir, I can't say I know what the Mass is about. I don't know what I'm praying for, then, only that it's right. A poor man that can neither read nor write. I wish I could, and I might do better. Can't understand it. It's all in Latin. I've heard about Cardinal Wiseman. 
it'll do us no good sir it'll only set people more against us but it ain't poor men's fault as i was anxious to witness the religious zeal that characterizes these people i obtained permission to follow one of the priests as he made his rounds among his flock everywhere the people ran out to meet him he had just returned to them i found and the news spread round and women crowded to their doorsteps and came creeping up from the cellars through the trap-doors merely to curtsy to him one old crone as he passed cried you're a good father heaven comfort you and the boys playing about stood still to watch him a lad in a man's tail-coat and a shirt-collar that nearly covered in his head like the paper round a bouquet was fortunate enough to be noticed and his eyes sparkled as he touched his hair at each word he spoke in answer at a conversation that took place between the priest and a woman who kept a dry fish-stall the dame excused herself for not having been up to take tea with his reverence's mother lately for thrade had been so busy and night was the fullest time even as the priest walked along the street boys running at full speed would pull up to touch their hair and the stall-women would rise from their baskets while all noise even a quarrel ceased until he had passed by still there was no look of fear in the people he called them all by their names and asked after their families and once or twice the father was taken aside and held by the button while some point that required his advice was whispered in his ear the religious fervour of the people whom i saw was intense at one house that i entered the woman set me marvelling at the strength of her zeal by showing me how she contrived to have in her sitting-room a sanctuary to pray before every night and morning and even in the day when she felt weary and lonesome the room was rudely enough furnished and the only decent table was covered with a new piece of varnished cloth still before a rude print of our saviour there were placed two old plated candlesticks pink with the copper shining through and here it was that she told her beads in her bedroom too was a coloured engraving of the blessed lady which she never passed without curtsying to of course i detail these matters as mere facts without desiring to offer any opinion here either as to the benefit or otherwise of the creed in question as i had shown how the english costermonger neither had nor knew any religion whatever it became my duty to give the reader a view of the religion of the irish street sellers in order to be able to do so as truthfully as possible i placed myself in communication with those parties who were in a position to give me the best information on the subject the result is given above in all the simplicity and impartiality of history of the education literature amusements and politics of the street irish these several heads have often required from me lengthened notices but as regards the class i am now describing they may be dismissed briefly enough the majority of the street irish whom i saw were unable to read but i found those who had no knowledge of reading and the same remark applies to the english street sellers as well regret their inability and say i wish i could read sir i'd be better off now on the other hand those who had a knowledge of reading and writing said frequently enough why oh, yes sir i can read and write but it's been no good to me as if they had been disappointed in their expectations 
as to the benefits attendant upon scholarship i am inclined to think however that a greater anxiety exists among the poor generally to have some schooling provided for their children than was the case a few years back one irishman attributed this to the increased number of roman catholic schools for the more schools there are he said the more people think about schooling their children the literature or reading of the street irish is i believe confined to roman catholic books such as the lives of the saints published in a cheap form one and only one i found with the nation newspaper the very poor have no leisure to read during three days spent in visiting the slop workers at the east end of the town not so much as the fragment of a leaf of a book was seen the amusements of the street irish are not those of the english costermongers though there are exceptions of course to the remark the irish fathers and mothers do not allow their daughters even when they possess the means to resort to the penny gaffs or to the tuppenny hops unaccompanied by them some of the men frequent the beer shops and are inveterate drinkers and smokers too i did not hear of any amusements popular among or much resorted to by the irish men except dancing parties at one another's houses where they jig and reel furiously they frequent raffles also but the article is often never thrown for and the evening is spent in dancing i may here observe in reference to the statement that irish parents will not expose their daughters to the risk of what they consider corrupt influences that when a young irish woman does break through the pale of chastity she often becomes as i was assured one of the most violent and depraved of perhaps the most depraved class of politics i think the street irish understand nothing and my own observations in this respect were confirmed by a remark made to me by an irish gentleman their politics are either a dead letter or the politics of their priests the homes of the street irish in almost all of the poorer districts of london are to be found nests of irish as they are called or courts inhabited solely by the irish costermongers these people form separate colonies rarely visiting or mingling with the english costers it is curious on walking through one of these settlements to notice the manner in which the irish deal among themselves street seller buying of street seller even in some of the smallest courts there may be seen stalls of vegetables dried herrings or salt cod thriving on the associative principle by mutual support the parts of london that are the most thickly populated with irish lie about brook street ratcliffe cross down both sides of the commercial road and in rosemary lane though nearly all the costa districts cited at page forty seven have their irish settlements cromer street saffron hill and king street drury lane for instance being thickly peopled with the irish but the places i have mentioned above are peculiarly distinguished by being almost entirely peopled by visitors from the sister isle the same system of immigration is pursued in london as in america as soon as the first settler is thriving in his newly chosen country a certain portion of his or her earnings are carefully hoarded up 
until they are sufficient to pay for the removal of another member of the family to england then one of the friends left at home is sent for and thus by degrees the entire family is got over and once more united perhaps there is no quarter of london where the habits and habitations of the irish can be better seen and studied than in rosemary lane and the little courts and alleys that spring from it on each side some of these courts have other courts branching off from them so that the locality is a perfect labyrinth of blind alleys and when once in the heart of the maze it is difficult to find the path that leads to the main road as you walk down the lane and peep through the narrow openings between the houses the place seems like a huge peep-show with dark holes of gateways to look through while the court within appears bright with the daylight and down it are seen rough-headed urchins running with their feet bare through the puddles and bonnetless girls huddled in shawls lolling against the door-posts sometimes you see a long narrow alley with the houses so close together that opposite neighbours are talking from their windows while the ropes stretched zigzag from wall to wall afford just room enough to dry a blanket or a couple of shirts that swell out dropsically in the wind i visited one of the paved yards round which the irish live and found that it had been turned into a complete drying ground with shirts gowns and petticoats of every description and colour the buildings at the end were completely hidden by the things and the air felt damp and chilly and smelt of soapsuds the gutter was filled with dirty grey water emptied from the wash-tubs and on the top were the thick bubbles floating about under the breath of the boys playing at boats with them it is the custom with the inhabitants of these courts and alleys to assemble at the entrance with their baskets and chat and smoke away the morning every court entrance has its little group of girls and women lolling listlessly against the sides with their heads uncovered and their luxuriant hair fuzzy as oakum it is peculiar with the irish women that after having been accustomed to their hoods they seldom wear bonnets unless on a long journey nearly all of them too have a thick plaid shawl which they keep on all the day through with their hands covered under it at the mouth of the only thoroughfare deserving of the name of street for a cart could just go through it were congregated about thirty men and women who rented rooms in the houses on each side of the road six women with baskets of dried herrings were crouching in a line on the curbstone with the fish before them their legs were drawn up so closely to their bodies that the shawl covered the entire figure and they looked very like the podgy tombolas sold by the italian boys as all their wares were alike it was puzzling work to imagine how without the strongest opposition they could each obtain a living the men were dressed in long-tail coats with one or two brass buttons one old dame with a face wrinkled like a dried plum had her cloak placed over her head like a hood and the grisly hair hung down in matted hanks about her face her black eyes shining between the locks like those of a sky terrier beside her was another old woman smoking a pipe so short that her nose reached over the bowl 
after looking at the low foreheads and long bulging upper lips of some of the group it was pleasant to gaze upon the pretty faces of the one or two girls that lolled against the wall their black hair smoothed with grease and shining almost as if japanned and their large grey eyes with the thick dark fringe of lash seemed out of place among the hard features of their companions it was only by looking at the short petticoats and large feet you could assure yourself that they belonged to the same class in all the houses that i entered were traces of household care and neatness that i had little expected to have seen the cupboard fastened in the corner of the room and stocked with mugs and cups the mantelpiece with its images and the walls covered with showy coloured prints of saints and martyrs gave an air of comfort that strangely disagreed with the reports of the cabins in old ireland as the doors to the houses were nearly all of them kept open i could even whilst walking along gain some notion of the furniture of the homes in one house that i visited there was a family of five persons living on the ground floor and occupying two rooms the boards were strewn with red sand and the front apartment had three beds in it with the printed curtains drawn closely round in a dark room at the back lived the family itself it was fitted up as a parlour and crowded to excess with chairs and tables the very staircase having pictures fastened against the wooden partition the fire although it was midday and a warm autumn morning served as much for light as for heat and round it crouched the mother children and visitors bending over the flame as if in the severest winter time in a room above this were a man and a woman lately arrived in england the woman sat huddled up in a corner smoking with the husband standing over her in what appeared at first a menacing attitude i was informed however that they were only planning for the future this room was perfectly empty of furniture and the once whitewashed walls were black excepting the little square patches which showed where the pictures of the former tenants had hung in another room i found a home so small and full of furniture that it was almost a curiosity for domestic management the bed with its chintz curtains looped up filled one end of the apartment but the mattress of it served as a long bench for the visitors to sit on the table was so large that it divided the room in two and if there was one picture there must have been thirty all of holy men with yellow glories round their heads the window ledge was dressed out with crockery and in a tumbler were placed the beads the old dame herself was as curious as her room her shawl was fastened over her large frilled cap she had a little button of a nose with the nostrils entering her face like bullet holes she wore over her gown an old pilot coat well stained with fish slime and her petticoats being short she had very much the appearance of a dutch fisherman or stage smuggler her story was affecting made more so perhaps by the emotional manner in which she related it nine years ago the father of the district the blessed lady guard him had found her late at night rolling in the gutter and the boys pelting her with orange peel and mud she was drunk the lord passed her by and when she came to she found herself in the chapel 
lying before the sanctuary under the shadow of the holy cross watching over her was the good father trying to bring back her consciousness he spoke to her of her wickedness and before she left she took the pledge of temperance from that time she prospered and the one shilling and sixpence the father gave her had god's blessing in it for she became the best-dressed woman in the court and in less than three years had fifteen pounds in the savings bank the father heaven cherish him keeping her book for her as he did for other poor people she also joined the association of the blessed lady and bought herself the dress of the order a beautiful grain velvet which she had now and which same cost her thirty shillings and then she was secure against want in old age and sickness but after nine years prudence and comfort a brother of hers returned home from the army with a pension of one shilling a day he was wild and persuaded her to break her pledge and in a short time he got all her savings from her and spent every penny she could not shake him off for he was the only kin she had on earth and she must love her own flesh and bones then began her misery it pleased god to visit her old limbs with aches and troubles and her hips swole with the cold so that she was at last forced into a hospital and all that was left of her store was eaten up by sufferings this she assured me all came about by the good fathers leaving that parish for another one but now he had returned to them again and with his help and god's blessing she would yet prosper once more while i was in the room the father entered and old nora half divided between joy at seeing him and shame at being again a beggar laughed and wept at the same time she stood wiping her eyes with the shawl and groaning out blessings on his reverence's hid begging of him not to scold her for she was a wake woman the renegade brother was had in to receive a lecture from his reverence a more sottish idiotic face it would be difficult to imagine he stood with his hands hanging down like the paws of a dog begging and his two small eyes stared in the face of the priest as he censured him without the least expression even of consciousness old nora stood by groaning like a bagpipe and writhing while the father spoke to her own brother as though every reproach were meant for her the one thing that struck me during my visit to this neighbourhood was the apparent listlessness and lazy appearance of the people the boys at play were the only beings who seemed to have any life in their actions the women in their plaid shawls strolled along the pavements stopping each friend for a chat or joining some circle and leaning against the wall as though utterly deficient in energy the men smoked with their hands in their pockets listening to the old crones talking and only now and then grunting out a reply when a question was directly put to them and yet it is curious that these people who here seemed as inactive as negroes will perform the severest bodily labour undertaking tasks that the english are almost unfitted for to complete this account i subjoin a brief description of the lodging-houses resorted to by the irish immigrants 
on their arrival in this country. End of section 18